0: Welcome, listeners to Snippet Sports Science. Today, we're going to get back to the review article of hypoxin resistance exercise. And what we're going to do is just quickly cover BFR and then move on to systemic resistance exercise. So, welcome, Jared, again. Thank you, Chris. Having How are to- you? Oh, I'm good, thank Was you. So am I. How was your trip to New Zealand? It was lovely. Jared actually went over to New Zealand to have a little bit of a PD type trip and also was able to get a live interview so we were quite blessed to actually get Adam's story with a live interview. To quickly revisit BFR, what we're going to do is just talk about the physiological responses, move on to some practical applications and then go back onto systemic hypoxia.
1: Thank you Chris. So as an overview those mechanisms behind the physiological responses to blood flow restriction training are metabolic stress, hormonal responses, intramuscular signaling, intracellular swelling or the pump, muscle fiber recruitment and reactive hyperemia which we didn't talk about much last week no it last isn't. last
0: week the first point was just on metabolic stress so the responses that you're looking at here is increases in blood lactate increases in phosphocreatine depletion increase in inorganic phosphate decrease in ph levels the increases in the potential factors which influence the magnitude of the responses are in a set recovery periods the occlusion maintained during the recovery between the sets and just the pressure being used right and
1: then the hormones we looked at were increased growth hormone potential changes in testosterone and unknown differences for the most part in IGF-1, that insulin-like growth factor 1, catecholamines such as your norepinephrine or noradrenaline and your cortisol. What we find is that we might be able to get more of a hormonal response when you increase the amount of metabolic stress, particularly by using more muscle mass during an exercise.
0: The bigger the exercise, the bigger the response. Always. So the intramuscular signaling looked at the increase in phosphorylation of the S6K1 or the mTOR signaling increase in proliferation and differentiation of satellite cells and equivalent around myostatin and reactive oxygen species. Here they look at the potential factors which may influence the response is around the mechanical stress applied such as the volume and the intensity of the session and the level of the muscular ischemia.
1: Also looking at the intracellular swelling or the pump. Researchers have less information about what signaling responses this might have although for decades bodybuilders have been saying it's probably a good thing. We believe that the swelling might stimulate intrinsic volume sensors or anabolic signaling and muscle protein synthesis. We think that this might be on the back of the degree of occlusion and subsequent venous pooling or the metabolic stress associated with the exercise. I also think that there's a bit around the fact that you're wearing the cuff and as the cell swells, it's then pushing against the additional pressure of the cuff. So it's quite a bit different than normal comp during exercise.
0: And from a practical standpoint, people talk about how their joint feels more supportive during movement. Right. You just sort of have something you can press against. Correct. Yeah. The second last mechanism was muscle fiber recruitment. So they really showed that they had increase in motor unit activations and also decrease in motor unit activations when compared with high intensity exercise without the BFR. So they seem to think here the degree of the metabolic stress is associated with the type of exercise, but possibly there's no effect when exercise is performed to failure.
1: Right, and this article was written in 2015, so there have been a few developments since this article, of course. And one of those is that you you can do blood flow restriction with high-intensity exercise
0: as well as low-intensity exercise. Cook did one at 70%. We spoke about systemic effects where they just wore the cuffs on the lower body and they actually had improvements in bench press but also pull-ups. The results from this paper seem to hint that there's actually a systemic effect as a result.
1: Right. And so finally the mechanism that we didn't really discuss in the previous section of the article is the reactive hyperemia. So when you release the pressure on the blood flow cuff, because there's been an ischemic environment the blood then just comes flowing into it and can absolutely swell it to massive levels so this is partially similar to the intracellular swelling mechanism but we find that there's a potentially a change in muscle protein synthesis on the back of the level of muscular ischemia and on the back of the level of muscular ischemia
0: summing this up the practical applications and the limitations around bfr i think personally think the practical applications span users from beginners to elite post-operative through to elderly populations absolutely yeah well what we find
1: with being able to increase the metabolic stress is you can not only use it when there's low mechanical stress to be able to overcome the fact that you can't have a high mechanical stress or you can use it to supplement a high mechanical stress
0: yeah definitely so the big things here that reduce the joint articular ligament stress force is so really important in athletes who or people who just have joint issues can also help decrease the incidence of injuries while promoting strength and hypertrophy. Also what we could think about here is that because we don't have to use as much mechanical stress, could we actually decrease the incidence of injury while promoting strength and hypertrophy? Because traditionally we know that we have to use high loads and people don't report on the injuries in the gymnasiums from high load squatting and deadlifting and so forth. Everyone seems to focus on the bad things that happen with BFR, but there's actually a lot of good that goes on out there.
1: Right, and a lot of people have given the argument that because it develops muscular tissue so much, and back in 2015, there wasn't a whole lot known on the effects on other tissues, that the connective tissue might not be able to keep up with the level of development of the muscle, and so that there could be injuries on the back of that. But since then, we've looked at quite a few articles on the effects of blood flow restriction training on tendon development and tendonopathy repair, and we found that it's actually quite good benefits on connective tissue.
0: Exactly right, and also the paper's coming out on bone reformation markers as well
1: yeah we're starting to investigate all those other tissues now that the effects on muscle
0: have been very well established in endurance based athletes i've worked with a few triathletes in my time and i know that they can't lift high loads and part of that's due to their high aerobic type training loads and i actually started to think that because they can't lift high loads in the gym they can't get the strength development that they we truly want to see as a strength coach could we use bfr firstly as a mechanism improve strength without having to expose the body to high loads or high axial loads but also could it become almost like a protective mechanisms for stress fractures and so forth
1: right and for endurance athletes as well because of the development of those oxidative type 1 fibers and the vascularization and capillarization effects that we see from blood flow restriction training it could
0: have massive benefits for aerobic athletes without any detriment to their style of training 100 percent so although that area probably hasn't been investigated heavily in, definitely think that the endurance-based athletes have something to gain for on several fronts here. I'd
1: love to see some studies on concurrent training between blood flow restriction training and aerobic training.
0: That would really start to bring some more angles to the argument around how we piece together better training protocols for athletes. Right. I hope that's given you a nice... Overview of BFR and we really want to introduce the concept of resistance exercise with systemic hypoxia Which the next few episodes will really focus upon
1: wait, Chris I feel like they really didn't give us much practical application of blood flow restriction was it? True, they didn't tell us how many sets to do they didn't. they didn't tell us. What do we do? How do we do blood
0: flow restriction training? Is it intermittent? Is it continuous? Oh, there's a lot of questions. Jarrah and I have actually used BFR a lot in our own training environment, and I use it a lot with the athletes that I train. If you wanna talk about sets and reps, when you traditionally look at other research, they talk about the 30, 15, 15, 15. I just put it on a train with it. That's probably my main basic premise. In terms of a practical application, look at what you do as a coach and say, could I actually put a cuff on, and would it be useful for me just to decrease the load? So you look at when someone's warming up. Put it on when they ride a bike, walk on the treadmill, do that cross trainer, actually get the muscles active and going. When athletes have a lower limb injury, their foot's in a boot and you tell them, just roll your legs over on a bike. I know as an athlete, they're sitting on there going, I'm getting nothing out of this. But the coach says, just roll your legs over. You put a cuff on them. They're feeling some sort of effect in their muscles. Therefore, they feel like they're getting something out of it. All of a sudden, you're introducing a session in the early stages of rehab and they feel like they're getting some sort of buy-in to the actual session type. So we start with a warm-up, you're doing your mini-band routine and you're doing your small activations, keep them on your cuffs, release them for a little bit. You might actually find that in the aerobic work, the pressure's a bit too high if you look at get 50 to 80% of arterial occlusion. So just knock 20 mils of mercury off and away you go. Then once you start your session, keep them on. If you're a high-end performance lifter, put them on for your first few sets, and then these are all in your controlled type multi-joint movements, squats, deadlifts, or your single leg work. You're fine in Olympic lifts, you just can't use them because you want the bar to be nice and close to the body. As the session continues and as the load increases, you can actually start to look at using it in a more in-a-minute fashion than actual continuous. So I look at this seesaw effect between mechanical and metabolic stress. And this is my own theory. If the mechanical stress is low in a rehab type situation, you need more stress on the muscle fiber. So you need a high metabolic stress on the muscle fiber to actually get some sort of improvement. So I keep it continuous and I keep it on for as long as possible and I keep the reps high because we're in that rehab phase. As we're heading to a performance lifting type situation, the mechanical stress is getting high. Now, when you look at the paper from Cook, they use 70% of RM and my own work, working with athletes, I've actually used loads as high as I could go, 80, 90% of RM. So in this case, the mechanical stress is high, you just need to top it up a little bit with a little bit of metabolic stress. Still important to keep the pressure in there, but I just keep it as an intermittent pressure throughout the session.
1: If we look at a continuum from most metabolic to most mechanical, we can look at exercises such as uh, fully concentric exercises such as sleds versus doing eccentric overload. And so when you're having a very high metabolic, very low mechanical stress session, you could wear your blood flow restriction cuffs while doing sleds. Whereas when you do your eccentric overload, although you might not bother to be wearing the blood flow restriction cuffs, it can also give an addition of that metabolic stress on top of the very high mechanical stress that you're already applying.
0: And going further with that, So if you have athletes who may have joint issues, so we take the knee for example, and you want to investigate the role of eccentric training with these athletes, you could actually trial the BFR cuff while doing eccentric work. Provides a supportive feeling for the athlete while they're doing that eccentric movement without putting the high loads which you traditionally expose the body to. So the good limb, you can go as heavy as you want to go. The other limb which actually has joint integrity issues, you could still actually train eccentrically but not have to put as much load on. Is the response going to be the same? I don't know and that's an investigation for another group of researchers out there but I think we have to explore this as coaches and we can't just say well research says 30 15 15 15 that's the protocol we have to use. I think we need to use that as the initial foundation of how we use it and then we actually then have to adapt the use of the BFR cuff for the athlete. This is N equals 1 type stuff, and if we really get cornered into that we have to use one protocol, I think we're going to really miss a lot of good opportunities with people who could benefit from this.
1: Right, so that foundational approach to blood flow restriction training is go at 50 to 80% arterial occlusion pressure based on Wannick's equation, utilizes limb girth and blood pressure at the limb being restricted and four sets 30 15 15 15 reps at about 20 to 50 percent one repetition maximum but we should be building on that
0: definitely that's just the starting point point. and jared spoke about 50 to 80 percent we use 50 percent and the numbers that we get out from the equation actually equates to pretty much what we can tolerate as long-term users of the cuff. So I hope that gives a little bit more background on how we use it. We keep quite an open lateral thinking type mind behind how we can incorporate it. We do lots of different sessions and just monitor the responses ourselves so we know when we have an athlete or a person who comes to us with a potential issue of how we can actually apply it in the environment. All right, thank you, Chris.
1: Systemic hypoxia has most been explored with intermittent hypoxic training, typically with aerobic training, such as cycling or running.
0: So enhanced metabolic functions, such as molecular and structural adaptations, favoring oxygen transport and utilization have been demonstrated following high intensity cycling training in hypoxia, compared with training in normoxia.
1: And we find that a lot of these adaptations are dependent on the degree of hypoxia, the duration of
0: the exposure. So again, we focused on BFR, the intensity of the session, the pressure of the cuffs, Again, here we have a similar theme with all studies. It's the intensity and the exposure of the stimulus. Some important overarching factors to consider in systemic
1: hypoxia is how to apply the actual hypoxia. So although we typically talk about a chamber because we have an environmental chamber that that we can use, there are other ways to be
0: creating hypoxia. So you can have a gas mask, and obviously in seated type stationary exercises is quite easy, but if you want to do applied resistance training, you can imagine putting a mask on and getting an athlete to perform an applied type strength exercise becomes a lot more difficult and restrictive. And the two main forms of hypoxia that we have are
1: genuine altitude, which is hypobaric hypoxia, where the air is actually thinner as opposed to in most environmental chambers, what we'll do is we'll pump additional nitrogen into the air to cause a dilution of the oxygen. So the air is just primarily more nitrogen than oxygen, thus reducing the relative percent of the oxygen.
0: Now, in your initial thesis work, you were looking at possibly doing some resistance training in the hypoxic chamber. Was there anything you can add from an outset in terms of all your literature review work you did initially that might be useful here as a base understanding for the listeners?
1: Yeah, so there's been a ton of work in systemic hypoxia now, and actually, I'm really glad that I didn't go into that as my PhD, because I believe this paper was actually sort of the foundation of Brendan Scott's PhD, and he's done just... Phenomenal job with systemic hypoxia that I, I would not have wanted to have competed with him.
0: So Jared's works in the use of environmental conditions, so in a minute heat, and it really works nicely on this whole concept of hypoxia and/or heat as mechanisms to improve performance. And hence, that's why some of our other articles we focus on heat as a performance concept.
1: And a lot of the argument behind being able to use these systemic environmental approaches rather than the localized methods, or that we'll be able to more effectively exercise the trunk musculature. So we'll see if that's
0: true. So that's all for today, listeners. We've just reviewed BFR, and we've just introduced systemic hypoxia as a concept. What we're going to do next week is we're going to go into the adaptive and perceptual responses to intermittent hypoxic resistance training, and really delve a lot deeper into what research is actually saying. This is a good opportunity to introduce a new podcast that Jay and I are about to start in a few weeks' time called BFR Radio. This podcast will solely focus on the research around blood flow restriction training, but also we want you as listeners to get involved in our podcast. So we're going to be reaching out to you all that are using BFR in your own training environment and really keen to listen to how you're using it but also so you can share that with other users because I know there's some really good stuff going out there in the applied environment and we're keen to get you guys coming on board and being part of our show. So stay tuned. We'll be letting everyone know when that starts, but hopefully in a few weeks' time, we'll be putting out our first BFR radio podcast. Talk to you soon.